Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, throughout history, there have been all kinds of permutations as to who, what human beings are, how their condition can be improved, uh, how humankind can progress further. There really is no lack of perspective or opinions about how that can happen. Sometimes when it comes to Scripture, I think the idea that God is creating a new kind of humanity can sometimes almost fall on our deaf ears, and I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's because we've mostly trained ourselves to see God's work in our lives primarily as somehow kind of secluded to the spiritual and getting our souls from earth to heaven. That might be some of the reason. I often say when I pray that our problem is not that we simply deny God's truth, but that we're often dull to it. And I think one of the things that we can be dull to is just the sharpness and grandness of God's vision for the recreation of human beings. That includes both now as well as his vision for the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Again, I think our challenge is that we often see ourselves as, as simply spiritual beings and that God's primary goal is, is getting our unseen souls or unseen spirits from earth into heaven. And while that's true, God is also about a much larger picture than that. In Ephesians chapter 2, he mentions that he's creating a new kind of humanity. And that's not simply spiritualized talk. Jesus is actually in the business of bringing about a new kind of creation. That creation starts when we embrace Jesus as our Savior. He brings us God's life, but also continues into eternity. God calls us to be a new kind of community now with also the promise that he will one day create a new heaven and a new earth and that there will be a new kind of human being, a new kind of society. You may remember the thought process of Karl Marx. He's one person that wrote of the new man, the new society. And I would say God's vision is so much larger than anything Karl Marx ever thought possible. Millions of people caught his vision and dedicated themselves to hit that realization. Marx saw the human problem and its solution almost exclusively in economic terms. The new society was the classless society which would follow the revolution and the new man would emerge because of, the, as, of his economic liberation. Marx saw religion as actually being the opiate of the people. And what he meant by that is he thought that religion somehow brought people into a sense of, of stupor in which they no longer really cared about their surroundings. Those who were oppressed used religion to somehow assuage or satiate their pain. 
And Marx's perspective was that if people would only not be religious, they would actually awaken to their actual pain that they're in, throw off their oppression, and society would be better. That was his vision. And so religion, rather than bring about the new kind of human being, the new kind of humanity, religion was actually an obstacle for economic overthrow of the oppressed that would result in that kind of liberation. Once again, I would say Paul presents, the scripture presents a greater vision than anything Karl Marx or any other kind of person ever has dreamed of. God is about creating a new kind of humanity. He is about creating a new kind of human being. He's not just interested in getting our souls from earth to heaven. He's interested in restructuring, renewing, recreating the whole thing. One of the reasons why that's important, and we've referenced this before, is that sometimes scholars have sort of oversimplified how we see human history. In the first thousand years, it's often said that the primary question followers of Jesus were wrestling with and bringing clarity to, not because clarity didn't exist, but simply sharpening themselves in, was the question of who is Jesus? And so at the first millennium of Christianity, there were councils called, and Jesus' teaching was clear, but it had to be formalized, it had to be solidified. And so this morning we said the Apostles' Creed that provides clarity as to who the person of Jesus is. In the second millennium, often we say the question was, how are we made right with God? And so in the 1500s, 1600s, you have the Reformation, you have people like Martin Luther and others kind of calling followers of Jesus back to Scripture and saying that we're not made right with God through our own efforts. We're not made right with God through our own strenuous moral accomplishments, but instead we're made right with God only through the person of Jesus Christ. It's kind of the second millennium. And it's really early on in the third millennium, but, but I kind of think this is true that scholars are suggesting what's the question in the third millennium is, what is a human being? Who are we as society? How do we function? What do we do about the challenges that we have with artificial intelligence and the proliferation of technological interaction and, and interacting technologically? What is a human being? Who are we? And so Paul's words about who we are as human beings is so incredibly important. Paul uses the idea of new creation several times because he wants us to expand our understanding that when he talks about God's work in our lives, he's not simply talking about getting our souls from earth to heaven. Instead, he's actually literally talking a vision that's far grander than Karl Marx or any other human being that actually articulates a plan that God has for the rescue and redemption of humanity at large. We've been going over this timeline or storyline of Scripture. It'll be up here on the screens. We're going to be going through this for referencing this probably off and on. Uh, we launched it, I think it was over a year ago, and we're 
We really want this to become ingrained in our congregation. And uh, we won't go through all the points every week, but just to kind of quickly condense that and summarize it, there's creation. God begins the story as he creates human beings. There's separation. Human beings are separated from God. There's anticipation. Throughout the Old Testament, we see things like the tabernacle, where God's presence is, and it anticipates his greater presence coming on earth. There's sacrifices that are made. There's, there's a sense that we're not right with God, but something has to be done. And so the Old Testament anticipates that one day there's going to be some sort of activity where God is going to fully make us right with himself. That's the idea of anticipation. There's incarnation. At the center of it all, Jesus comes down in flesh, dwells among us, tabernacles among us. He's crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb. He's raised from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. When he ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes, and now God's presence doesn't just tabernacle in a tent as it did in the Old Testament. Now, it, now he tabernacles. Now he dwells within us. His Spirit is making us new. His Spirit is living out the life of Christ through us. That's the idea of indwelling. There's a little blue star there. That blue star is sort of the season of time where Paul actually writes the letter to the Ephesians. And so Paul is writing after the Holy Spirit has come, as the age of expansion, as the gospel, the message of Jesus travels across the world. Paul is writing right where that blue star is, and he's writing this letter to the people of Ephesus, and still today we're reading it. That's where the red star is. The red star is kind of where we show up. We're not quite sure how far or close it is to God's new creation. Uh, but we're a ways away. Paul wrote this letter almost 2,000 years ago. And since that time, God's work, his mission has been expanding to others. The Revelation talks about tribes, nations, and languages belonging to God. And then there's the new creation, the judgment and the new creation. God will rid the world of evil and wickedness. And only through Jesus can be, be welcomed in to a new creation and be right with him. Just a couple thoughts about this. Number one, when we look at this story of scripture, probably one thing that we should make clear is, is this. When we say the story of scripture, we're not saying that this is sort of the tiny religious subplot of life here on earth. It's not as though, okay, this is the Bible, and we live here on this earth, and we live in this gigantic world, and this is sort of the religious, faith-based storyline of, of Scripture. As if sort of the Bible, religion, and faith kind of fits into the whole thing. It's actually the opposite, you could say that this is the storyline, not just of Scripture. This is the storyline of our world. See, Scripture actually is not a faith subplot. Scripture is not just a small little dot that happens in all of the activity of the world. Scripture actually says this is the story of the world and everything else is a subplot. Our modern world says, oh, like, this is the story of the world, and faith is a subplot. 
Scripture says, this is God's story. All of the activities are supplies. Does that make sense? That is huge once you grasp that. This is the story. Everything else is a subplot. History really is his story. It really is the story that God is writing. It's fascinating. I enjoy thinking about these sorts of things. And I don't know if you know this or not, but with the nation of Israel from which we receive the writings of the Old Testament is actually the first known expansive history writing civilization in the ancient world. Why is that? Why is Israel actually the most prolific history writing civilization in the ancient world? Why is that? It's because they actually understood that history was heading somewhere. We simply take for granted that, of course, we record history. It's important. That wasn't taken for granted in the ancient world. In the ancient world, nobody wrote history because history was simply seen as circular events happening over and over again. But the nation of Israel was actually the first complete history-writing civilization. Why? Precisely because they understood there was a storyline to the world. They understood it was headed somewhere. The reason we write history now is because we've come to believe, because we're so steeped in sort of the thought process of Scripture, that we believe history is headed somewhere. But it's fascinating. That's actually the fruit of the Scripture itself, that history is headed somewhere, that it has meaning, that it's not simply events over and over again. Klein Snodgrass says this, the new person and the new society are God's creative work. Economic restructuring has great importance, but it cannot produce these things. They are beyond the capacity of human power and ingenuity. They depend on the action of the divine creator. Listen, friends, you live in that storyline of Scripture. Your story has meaning because it's found in the plot line of what God is doing. You're not simply an extra human being on planet Earth. You're not simply peripheral to the billions of people. Your story is actually significant because your story is connected to the story that God is telling your story is significant because it's part of his story. And once you begin to realize that your story is part of his story, suddenly your life becomes meaningful, not because you're grand and amazing, but because your story belongs to the story of a grand and amazing God. Amen. And so, friends, I don't know what sense of maybe emptiness or purposelessness. And it just all seems like a blur that you may have. But your life, every life is significant because it happens in this story. Because this story is birthed in the love of God. It continues in the love of God. And throughout this whole story, God is moving in to be present with the people that he created. And he's moving in to be present with you.
church. Well, last week we dove into Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Quite honestly, we didn't get overly far. Uh, and this week we're going to look at Ephesians 3, 7 through 13. Uh, I'm not sure how far we'll get this week either. We're kind of like play a little bit catch up each week. Um, but these verses are so incredibly rich. I'm going to ask Leah to come up, and she's going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, and we're going to look at a couple of specific things that, that Paul brings up. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I don't know how you work best. Some of you may want to actually open the Bibles that you brought. That's awesome. Uh, sometimes... I actually listen better just by like honing in on the person who's reading. We also have Bibles in the chairs in front of you. So we really do dive into scripture. And we, but we know that different people do that differently. And so just zone in as Leah reads. And some of it might be a little bit confusing as it was last week, but we'll wade our way through. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thank you so much, Leah. Wow, I just love hearing scripture read. Isn't it awesome? Um, so we're going to look at probably two or three things. Uh, probably we'll just get to two of them. Uh, we're going to look at this idea of, of Paul seeing the unexpected. Uh, first... Paul sees the unexpected privilege in his own life of sharing the gospel and communicating it to others. He sees the unexpected privilege in his own life of, of being an avenue or vessel through which God communicates his work in the world to others. Now look at verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me, through the working of his power. Just an incredibly powerful verse. Paul says, I serve the gospel of Jesus. I serve in communicating that gospel. I serve in living that gospel as a gift of God's grace. Often when we think of grace, we think primarily of receiving God's grace through the gift of rescue from our sin, evil, and wickedness. It, the grace that he gives us in rescuing us from darkness, of giving us salvation, of being present with us through the person of Jesus, of giving us the Holy Spirit. But notice Paul expands that. He says, I am a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace. In other words, Paul actually says, it's a work of grace that I receive gladly from the Lord 
that I'm actually a channel of his work into the lives of other people. Now, quite honestly, I think one of the sad things is, is that probably many of us see that not as a privilege, but as an unfortunate obligation. It's sort of an unfortunate obligation that, wow, I have the gift of salvation. I have the gift of God's grace, his love for me expressed in the person of Jesus, his forgiveness of my sin. And unfortunately, that obligates me to serve others and be part of others' lives and to communicate the gospel. And I don't do very well at that. And it's an unfortunate obligation rather than a beautiful privilege. He goes on in verse 8, although I am the less than the least of all the Lord's people. By the way, when he says less than the least of all the Lord's people, he's probably doing a little bit of a play on the words there. Uh, Paul's Roman surname, Paulus, is Latin for little or small. And so he might have even been playing off the meaning of his own name. Uh, This isn't in scripture, but from other sources in church history, the best that we can tell is that Paul was actually a man of very small stature. He was a little guy. Paul walked into a room and nobody was impressed. Uh, I remember, um, like, I'm kind of a little guy. I'm only like five foot seven, and it's kind of always bugged me. I was one of the shortest kids in my class and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, um, some of you may know him, Peter Pindell. He used to pastor Millington Baptist Church down the road and stuff. And, uh, and, and I've had gotten to know him a number of years, and, uh, for a number of years, and he's still a friend of mine. I haven't seen him for a while. But I had lunch with Peter, Pastor Peter Pendell for a while. He was pastor at Millington Baptist Church. And uh, man, when Peter walked in a room, the guy's probably like over six foot. He had this like head of white hair. He looks like Moses. And I'm like, man, like that guy deserves respect. Like I'm a little puny Nathan Tucky. Like who am I? And Peter Pendell walks in the room and he's this guy of stature and he's got this full head of hair and he's just like tall and handsome. And he, like he's... Like Paul, Paul was a wee little guy. Paul was a little guy. And so Paul says, not only is the least, not only is he less than the least for that reason, Paul actually had a pretty checkered background. Uh, Paul used to drag people off to jail who were followers of Jesus. Earlier in Acts, there's a record of Paul standing by when this guy named Stephen is stoned to death. And the people stoning Stephen to death lay their cloaks, their coats at Paul's feet. Paul says, who am I? Just this little guy, this guy that's easily overlooked. This guy that formerly persecuted the church. This guy that drugged followers of Jesus off the How is it that I would have the privilege of actually sharing the gospel with others. Here's what I want you to realize, friends. The gospel doesn't just save you from something. It doesn't just save you from darkness and from evil. And it doesn't just save you from the destructiveness of your own personal autonomy. It does rescue you from your own self-destructive autonomy. But the gospel doesn't just save you from something. It actually saves you to something. 
It saves you. It rescues you to be part of what God is doing and bringing his work of redemption and restoration and the message of the gospel into this world. You are not just saved from something. You're also saved to something. In fact, in the whole storyline of scripture, God creates Adam and Eve as his image bearers. And throughout the whole storyline, God is involved in recreating human beings to once again bear his image. Maybe to help you out, maybe I always need sort of analogies to kind of like connect things. Um, I own a Toyota Tacoma, and uh, it's a truck, and I like my truck, and I've driven a small-sized truck for a number of years, and I, it's uh, just, yeah, I enjoy driving it. Here's the deal. It's a number of years old now, but when it was new, it was sort of the ultimate Toyota Tacoma, had all the features, all the features worked, and it's still in great shape. But, but here's the deal. If I went out and got in a terrible accident and the truck was severely damaged, listen to this, it would still be a Toyota Tacoma. There is no level of damage or destruction that could happen to that truck in an accident that would no longer make it a Toyota Tacoma. Does that make sense? On any accident record, even if there was just a shred of that truck left, it would still be called a Toyota Tacoma because that's fundamentally what it is. But here's the deal. Even though that's what it is, it can no longer fully express the image and the function of what a Toyota Tacoma does. Does that make sense? It is still a Toyota Tacoma, but it no longer can function as a Toyota Tacoma because it's wrecked in an accident. The whole business of Jesus is taking wrecked human beings who are ruined by sin, who are ruined by evil, who are ruined by our own autonomy, and no matter what you do, no matter what stage of life, whether it's unborn, whether it's age, whether it's incapacity, every human being is made in the image of God. But God is also at work redeeming. He said, we're redeeming and restoring, bringing us back into fellowship with Jesus so that we can actually become once more image bearers of his by expressing his life in the world. That's what God is saving us to. Does that make sense? He's not just saving us from destruction. He's actually saving us and making us new creations so that once again, we can live like his creations in the Garden of Eden. And so your life... No matter where you stand spiritually, you're created in God's image. Every single human being is. But the fact of the matter is we're damaged, we're dinged, we're banged up by our own evil, sin, and wickedness. We're separate from God. But God is in the process of enabling us to more and more look like his image bearers through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, like, he says, I, like, I can't believe it. God has taken this deeply banged up, damaged Toyota Tacoma named Paul. He used to kill people and drag them into prison. And now Paul is saying, I can't believe it. His grace has so profoundly touched my life and made me a new person that now I'm actually involved 
and sharing his life with others. Friends, that's your journey as well. Your journey is to share Christ's life with others as well. And yesterday we had a funeral here. It was pretty sizable here at Southridge. It was a, for a 26-year-old man named Rhodes. And he unfortunately lost his battle with cancer. He had a brain tumor and he battled well. And, and we had a room, a lot of people were here and it was really interesting. Uh, he had a community where he worked at Home Depot. He had a community at Hawk Point Golf Course up in Washington. Whole community of people from the hospital where he was cared for. And it was amazing to see that community of people that surrounded Rhodes and was part of his life. And after the service, had one lady come up to me and she said, hey, I'm uh, from Hackettstown Home Depot. That's the whole contingent of people were from there. And she said, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. I faithfully attend church. And she said, I'm just so thankful to be here. And she said, you have no idea how much I prayed for this young man, Rhodes. And I, I kind of knew what I was talking about this morning. And I just said, man, like, thank you for being a follower of Jesus wherever God's placed you. Like God's placed me in a role of being a pastor, and I'm thankful for that. But friends, here's what I want to say. Don't minimize where you've been placed. Don't minimize the level to which God wants to involve you in a story. And here's a woman who said, you know, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I've been praying for roads. And I'm just so thankful to see this service that elevates the person of Jesus and uh, communicates the gospel message, and I'm so thankful for God's work in Rhodes' life, and I just said, you know, like, thank you for being a faithful follower of Jesus. Thank you for bearing his image where he's placed you at a Hackettstown Home Depot. So I don't know where God's placed you, but all I can say is count it a privilege. See the privilege of following Jesus wherever he's placed you. Well, just one more small thing, and we'll, again, pick this up next week. Paul goes on in these verses to talk about the idea of mystery, and we'll pick this up more next week because it's kind of a big idea. He actually brought it up uh, in chapter 1. Um, actually, this word mystery happens quite often. He, it, he brings it up once in chapter 1. He brings it up three times in chapter 3. He brings it up once in chapter 5, and he brings it up once in chapter 6. And when he talks about mystery... Paul is talking about this idea that there are things that were previously not seen of God's goodness and his grace and his plan that are now unfolded. In other words, there are, there are things that, that God is sequentially and constantly revealing and unfolding about himself. There are things that were previously unseen but as you go along in the storyline of Scripture, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ, now you're like, wow, that's how it works. We'll dive into some of that next week because it's such a kind of a, a, a big, massive topic. But uh, the mystery is the idea of something previously unknown, previously unresolved, previously hidden, but it's now revealed. Now it's clear. And Paul is saying that unless you understand fully 
that God is revealing himself, that, that maybe the way things look now is not the way that they're going to look in the future. The things that don't add up now will one day add up because of the person of Jesus Christ. So we'll just give you one small snapshot of that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, we'll just cover this little tidbit. He says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him regarding his plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. He talks about bringing all things. In other words, part of the mystery, Paul says, part of seeing what's unexpected is knowing that there are things now that don't add up in your life. There are things that don't seem to fit the equation of what it looks like for God to be operating in your life. But Paul says one of the mysteries of Christ is that through him, God will enable all things to add up. And here's why. Nobody would have thought that execution by crucifixion leads to life. Nobody would have thought that. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. So, so Paul says, here's the mystery that Jesus brought about. Jesus brings about this mystery that all things in heaven and earth, in other words, all things even in your life, will somehow add up and make sense through Christ. Why can that be? How can that be? Because if Jesus used a crucifixion and execution to bring about life, my guess is he can take a small dot in your life and make it victorious as well. And so you live in faith, you live seeing the unexpected, that if, if Jesus' crucifixion led to a resurrection, if Jesus' crucifixion led to a new humanity and life being victorious, then the small things that don't add up in your life will lead to being victorious as well. And ask our team to come out and we're going to sing a song that references and is focused on the faithfulness, the promises, the absolute faithfulness of God. Listen, friends, I don't know how you see your life. Maybe you're not starting to sing the unexpected. Guess what? You have the, you have the unexpected privilege of being an avenue through which God is at work. Paul was the least of, of anybody. He's like, what? Paul's like, what am I doing? Guess what? Wherever God's placed you, that's what you're doing. You have the unexpected privilege, no matter how you see yourself, as being an avenue of the gospel into other people's lives. And then secondly, no matter how things may not seem to add up, the mystery is that, well, they didn't add up for Jesus either. Crucifixion, you would have thought it's all done. And Jesus is crucified on the cross, and wow, he's raised to life. And if that explains the mystery of how God works through Christ, it's going to explain some of the mystery in your life as well. So let's stand, let's sing the song together, and let's simply affirm the faithfulness and the promises of God. Thank you.
God of covenant, of faithful promises. And time and time again, you have proven to do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Your faithfulness to me. Oh, yeah. Seasons change, but you remain the same. God from age to age, though the earth may pass away. The same, yeah. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to.
God, thank you that you are faithful. Uh, this week, Lord, help us to see the unexpected opportunities to live out the gospel, to say a kind word, to pray for someone, to share a few words, to be of help. May we see ourselves as bearing your image to others. And thank you that through the power of Jesus, every little dot in our life will contribute to your great and grand victory. That if a crucifixion added up to a resurrection, whatever is in our lives will add up to you receiving greater honor and glory. And it's in the name of Jesus who explains this mystery to us that everyone agreed said, amen. Our prayer team will be down here to the right. We'd love to pray for you. God bless, stay warm, and have a great day.